Welcome to the Radiant Church Podcast. I'm glad you're here. Grab a Bible or open up your favorite Bible app as we get into God's Word together. Today we're going to be in Malachi chapter 3. And at this time, the people of God in Malachi, God had delivered them from Babylon. He had brought them out. He had helped them to reestablish Jerusalem and build a wall. He had helped them to rebuild the temple. He had done all these things. And yet in the midst of God doing all these things, they weren't hungering and thirsting for more of God. They weren't hungering and thirsting for the purposes of God to be fulfilled in their life. They were just complaining. Can you imagine? They were just complaining. God had done these things for for, for them, and, and yet they were just demanding more. And coming out of that worship moment, I, I just want I just want to be reminded today, as we look in, in, in Malachi chapter three. Listen, God is at work in your mess. He's in the room with you. He's got a plan. If you don't have a Bible, we'll bring one to you. Uh, Just raise your hand. Someone will come forward. You can get a Bible. If you don't have a Bible at home, please take this home with you. Put your name in it. Take it home with you. There's a marker in the Bible for where we are today in Malachi chapter 3. But before we go to chapter 3, we're just going to look at five verses. Malachi chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. But before we go to Malachi 3, I actually want to read verse the last verse of chapter 2, which is chapter 2 of Malachi, the last book of the Old Testament. I want to read the last verse of chapter 2, which is verse 17. It, it, it's a heavy verse, but here, here's what it says. Chapter 2, verse 17 of Malachi says, You have wearied the Lord with your words. How have you wearied him, you ask? You have wearied him by saying that all who do evil are good in the Lord's sight, and he is pleased with them. You have wearied him by asking, where is the God of justice? At this point in time, the, 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 the people of God are not hungering and thirsting for more of God's presence and to fulfill God's purposes. They're simply complaining that God didn't do right by them. They're questioning his fairness. That God didn't clean up evil people. They're questioning his justice. They're just complaining. And God says, you weary me with your accusations and complaints. And the whole time they're complaining about God, as we've seen in the first two chapters of Malachi, chapter one, they're complaining while all the while doing the minimum in terms of worship, half-hearted worship. I'm going to complain about how God's acting even while I'm not even doing the minimum of what he requires. And in chapter 2, while they're complaining about how God is acting toward them or not acting on their behalf, they're divorcing their believing wives, as we saw last week in chapter 2, in order to marry women from their enemies 
to satisfy their needs. So they're begging God, hey, make Israel great again. Restore the temple to its former glory. Crush all of our enemies to ashes. Well, just a little asterisk. Don't crush our enemies until we marry some of their women to meet our needs. Isn't our relationship with God weird sometimes? God, I want you to do this or not do this, but God says, you weary me. You weary me with your demands to clean everybody up but you. You see, God is looking. God is looking for a people to purify for his purposes. And here, the people of Israel were looking for a God just to fulfill their preferences. Oh, may we never be that people. Amen. Amen. Let's pray together. We'll jump into Malachi chapter 3. Father, we want to be a people that live every moment as if you're in the room because you are. We want to be a people who submit to the Spirit in us as believers, as sons and daughters adopted as we put our faith in you. We want to live as sons and daughters submitted to your Spirit in us that you might purify us for your purposes, for your glory, for your name to be made great, not ours. Father, we want to be a people that allow you to refine us so the others see you in us. Father, we don't want to be a people that demand and complain and accuse and, and walk around weary because of what we think you should or shouldn't have done and weary you. Father, we want a people that, that as you purify us, you are fulfilling your purposes in a way that changes our world starting with my life, my family, my street, my neighborhood. Father, we want to be your people to make your name great. It's your name we pray. Amen. Anybody remember sitting in the school office waiting for somebody to come straighten out your mess? Come on now. Don't leave me hanging. Anybody remember sitting in the school office waiting for somebody to straighten out your mess? Waiting for your mom and dad, mom or dad to show up, or worse, for grandma to show up. You with me? Like the most gentle, respected person in your life, your grandmother. The person you want to disappoint the least. And she's the only one they could get a hold of. Like you gotta come down here and straighten out Jimmy's mess. And you're, you're, you're sitting there in the office, like, what is gonna happen? And, and there's part of your mind that says, hey, my grandma's coming, and she loves me, and she'll do anything for me, and she is going to straighten these people out. I got an advocate. Right? You think that back of your mind. Because listen, I wasn't the worst one. I was halfway trying in class. I mean, all these other boys sitting over here laughing and cutting up and carrying on, they're the worst ones. I'm just the tip of the iceberg. They were picking on me. Grandma's going to come in here and clean these folks up. Right? And then you see her face when she comes through the door. You're like, oh no. 
She's not coming to clean them up. She's coming to clean me up. You're like, whoa, 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 whoa. Grandma, listen, I, I, I wasn't the worst one. I, I was trying. Listen, they were the ones. Look, they're all over there laughing. Nobody's showing up at the school to clean them up. They're more at fault. They're, more the, they're, they're just laughing, and they're going to get away with it. Why don't you? They're not mine. You're mine. You're mine. You carry my name. I gave you better. I taught you better. You have better inside of you. And then the worst thing ever happens. And the most gentle, respected person in your life, your grandma says, what? You disappointed me. And then you're like, just whip me. Just give me a spanking. Don't say you're disappointed in me. I don't want to have an adult conversation here. I don't want to feel all that stuff. Just go ahead and spank me. I'll take three, right? Man, you feel the weight of that phrase? You have wearied me. You have disappointed me. But here's what I want you to remember out of the day after, before we jump into these five verses. Here's what I want you to remember out of the day. God is at work in your mess. He is not deterred by what has happened. He is not deterred by what's going on around you. He is at work in your mess to purify a people for himself and for his purposes. We can say it this way. God is at work in your mess so that you are coming, becoming who you made you to be and to fill the pur- pur- purpose that he's put in you. Amen? He is at work in your mess. Look at verse 1. Verse 1 says, Look, I am sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way. Who is this referring to? John the Baptist. It's quoted in the New Testament, right? John the Baptist says, look, I'm sending my messenger, and he will prepare the way before me. God's coming. They're like, hey, when's God going to show up and straighten out all this mess? God says, hey, I'm coming. Then the Lord you are seeking, <laughs> little sarcasm here, then the Lord you are seeking will suddenly come to his temple, the messenger of the covenant. Who is this? Jesus, messenger of the new covenant by his body, his blood, his sacrifice in order to purify people for himself, right? Whom you look to, whom you look for so eagerly. A little sarcasm there. Hey, you're begging somebody to come, come clean up this mess around you. Then, hey, I'm coming, says the Lord of heaven's armies. I mean, look, Malachi here is looking forward way into the future at both of Jesus' coming first coming and second coming. First coming as lamb and sacrifice and savior and second coming as king and judge establishing his kingdom. Now we live in the advent in between. Jesus has come and he's coming again, true? And we live in that advent in between of Jesus having come with this new covenant a new people and, and him coming again. And that's what Malachi is talking about here in this first verse. And God says, I am surely coming. Listen, the problem wasn't that Israel didn't want a Messiah. The problem wasn't that Israel didn't want God to be active. They just wanted him to, be, to come and to be active and to act on their behalf for different purposes than God had for them. They wanted God to come and make Israel great again. It ain't about that. They wanted God to come and, and restore the temple to its former glory. It ain't about making the church great again. 
They wanted him to come and crush all their enemies. He wanted to use their enemies to clean them up. Right? They wanted him to come, but it was just for different reasons. Look at verse 2. God says, I'm coming. Uh, you're going to get your wish. You ever, you ever heard that phrase, be careful what you wish for? Here we go. Verse 2, be careful what you wish for. But who will be able to endure it when he comes? Man. Who will be able to endure it? That's why I say if he walked into the room, I think I'd just be on the floor before I was running around. See, at his first coming, God, holy, righteous, himself came incarnate face to face. When God comes close, who can endure it? Who can stand up and say, I'm good? I'm acceptable. I'm where you want me to be. Now, here's what I want you to do, God. Who can endure it? it? Says, Who will be able to stand and face him when he appears, when God comes close? For look, look, he will be a blazing fire that refines metal or like a strong soap that bleaches clothes. Look, God is serious, people. Fire and bleach. If your grandmother comes at you with fire and bleach, you know you're in trouble. She'll also get reported. But listen, God is serious about cleaning up a people for himself to change the world. Amen? Fire and bleach. You know, see, Jesus' first coming, we, we, we think, you know, Christmas, Advent, you know, th these verses are often taught during Advent, during the month of December leading up to Christmas. Hey, Jesus is coming. And, and so... We think about Christmas, we think, we think about the baby, we think about you know, these, these, these nice songs, we think about Savior, we think about Lamb of God, but, but when we think about Christmas as well, we think about wise men kneeling, we think about shepherds afraid, we think about God coming close to man incarnate in all of his holiness and righteousness. And there should be an awe and a reverence. The Bible, we'll see in a few verses, even use a fear of God, a biblical fear of God. Listen, God is not coming to get us through another week of our life. He's coming to purify people for himself. He's serious about it. And, and, and there, there will always be some element of fear and awe and reverence and trembling when God is refining and purifying his people. Serious business. So we, th we think about verse 2, and, 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 and as, we, as, we, as, we look at, as we look at that, he's coming, but he's not coming to embarrass their enemies. He's coming to clean them up. One of the things we can't do is, is, is assume that, and this is getting real practical. One of the things we can't assume is that God needs to spend more time cleaning up my neighbor than me. It's a little quiet. Man, that dog was barking all night long. Well, we can't assume that, listen, God, God needs to spend more time cleaning up my spouse than me. God needs to spend more time cleaning up my boss to me because he might be using my boss to clean me up. 
There's a verse in Psalm that says, Moab is my washpot. Listen, I'll use your enemies, Israel, to clean you up to be my people. So that people see me instead of you. The other thing we can't assume, we look at verse 2, the other thing we can't assume is this, that we can clean ourselves up. I will never forget my son. I, he, might, he was probably six, five, six years old, seven, I don't know, something. And, and, and condemn me or not, um, I'm going to tell you what happened. It's probably my wife, so blame her. She'll be here next service. But when the kids would smart off or, or say things they shouldn't as a last resort, but periodically, the bar of soap was coming out. You with me? You might say that's old school, I'm, whatever. There, there's great methods nowadays. Too. But anyway, <laughs> so one day my son has smarted off at Joy, my wife, and she just walked outside to work in the yard a little bit. She comes back through the front door of our house and she hears all this flailing and commotion and banging and gagging and all this stuff going on in the, in the little half bath in the hallway. And she, she's like, what is going on? She opens the door and my son had taken the liquid soap bottle and squirted about five pumps in his mouth and was washing his own mouth out because he had smarted back at his mom. The problem is, this is one of those times that she was going to give him grace. Listen, the refining process that we're going to study about in the next two verses is not about punishing yourself or trying to clean yourself up. It is about submitting to a good God who is purifying you for his presence and for his purposes and for life eternal with him. You can't clean yourself up. Romans 8, it says, submit to the spirit, put to death the deeds of the flesh. If we try to clean ourselves up, really, in the end, all we're doing is trying to, to, trying to learn enough, do enough, check enough boxes to get better. Better people are not going to change the world. Only transformed people are going to change the world. Better spouses are not going to change your marriage. Only transformed people are going to change your marriage. You, you with me? Can't clean up yourself. All right, verse 3 and 4. We're going to spend our, most of our time here. Verse 3 and 4. Let's read those together. It says, incredible imagery here. I mean, look at this verse. He will sit like a refiner of silver, burning away the dross. He will purify the Levites, refining them like gold and silver, so they may once again offer acceptable sacrifices to the Lord. He starts out, like in chapter 2, with the, with the spiritual leaders, the ministry leaders, the Levites. And then he extends this to all the people, application to all the people in verse 4. It says, Then once more the Lord will accept the offerings brought to him by the people of Judah and Jerusalem as he did in the past. Now I just want to walk you through this imagery real quick, and then I'm going to give you, give you four points in terms of, of submitting to this refining process. When we, look at, when we look at this image, think about this. Look, where is Jesus right now? Now again, I'm taking a little bit of liberty here because I'm using this imagery that's in this text. But where is Jesus now? Sitting at the right hand of God, right? Sitting at the right hand of the Father. Where is he focused? 
Look at this image, people. He, he is sitting intently focused on refining what is in front of him. You, you with me? There, there's, the, there's the heat blast from a furnace where metal is refined. And, and the image here is, is of Jesus. He's sitting, but he's focused on refining this most valuable thing in the, in the, in the world to him. And he's focused on, on in that heat, in that process, on refining us. I mean, the, 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 the most important thing to God is us becoming who he created us to be. And I think I said this in another sermon back in June. But, and that's Satan's greatest fear, is you becoming who God made you to be. And that's why it's most important to God. That's why it's serious, fire and bleach. That's why it's serious. Look, and it doesn't say, keep this imagery here for a second. It doesn't, it says refiner's fire. 12 times in scripture, it refers to God as a refiner's fire. Now listen, he's sitting here focused on his children, sons and daughters. And it doesn't say he's a consuming fire. Doesn't say he's a forest fire. Doesn't say he's a house fire destroying things. Says he's a refining fire, helping something to be what it was created to be. And in all the details, he's scraping away all the dross as it rises to the top. How do you know when it's near completion? When the metalsmith looks into it and he can see himself. That's, the, that's a refiner's fire. But then we might ask, well, why can Jesus do this? Why can Jesus do this? Because he took on the fires of hell that he might be the refiner's fire for us. He's the one that took our sin. He's the one that took our brokenness. He's the one that, that took our old nature, put it on the cross. And through his body and blood, he took on the fires of hell that he might sit focused here, removing the dross as a refiner's fire, the fires behind him. Listen, he took on the fires of hell. Nobody can take us away from him. Who's going to come up and take us off of, off of his refining fire, right? That's why Jesus can do this. And the moment we put our faith in him, he is doing, the moment we put our faith in him, God is at work in your mess, people. He's right there at work in your mess. And then look at verse 4, and then we're going to make a few points to close up. Look at verse 4. It says, then worship is acceptable again, and we are useful again for God's purposes because we are a transformed kingdom people. That our sacrifice, our offerings are coming from a place of righteousness, which is his life in us. Now, isn't this cool that God moves from being wearied and disappointed just a few verses ago, and most translations here translate this word, not just acceptable offerings, but pleasing to God. God moves from weary to pleasing as we submit to the refining process as a son and daughter of God. Now, here's the problem with all of that. The problem with all that is it's hard to sit while he works in the mess. It's hard to submit to the process, is it not? That's an awfully pretty picture, Pastor. 
But it's hard to sit in the process. Hard to let God work in the mess. I want to run through four things real quickly with you. If you want to jot these down, number one is this, everything goes. God will use everything in your life in the refining process. Romans 8, 28 and 29 says all things, all things he will use to form you in the image of Christ. Everything. He, he, he will use trials in your life. Romans 5 and James 1 says, count it all joy, rejoice when you experience trials. Now that just sounds dumb. But then it says why you should, because this will develop endurance and perseverance, which leads to character, which leads to faith, which leads and, and hope. And as we lean into God during the trials, he uses it to refine the people for his purposes, right? He will use weakness. Look at Paul's life. God, take this weakness away. Take this away from me. Yes, no, no, no. No, I'm going to show people I'm strong where you're weak and broken. He'll use relationships. Everything goes. He'll use relationships in the refining process. Tell me that marriage and parenting is not a refining fire. Right? And kids would probably say the same. But anyway. And and here's the one we don't talk about that much, but I think is probably highlighted most here. And that is he will use discipline to refine us as his people. Hebrews 12, 11 says, no discipline is enjoyable while it is happening. It's painful. I love that translation. But afterward, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Number two, everything goes. Number two, how do you submit to the process of God's refining fire? Number two is you got to surrender control. That's tough. Got to surrender control. Most of us want to say, God, I've got this. I'll read more. I'll do this. I'll do that. I'll be nicer to myself. I'll be nicer to my relationship. I'll do whatever. I'll serve here and there. God, I got this. Because we're so afraid of giving up control. So afraid of submitting to him, Right? It's like, I can figure it out better myself. It's almost like I saw a post a week or so ago. It's almost like a lady who said, hey, she posted on social media. She said, hey, to the guy who yelled at me and flipped me the bird as he was leaving the gas station, it's all good because I'm sure at this point, your wallet and phone are no longer on the top of your car. I was just trying to get your attention. I was just trying to tell you something's wrong. Right? I'm sure your wallet and phone's on the freeway by now, but that's okay. We can continue to suffer under the perception that we're in control. And we got stuff hanging out everywhere. Everything goes. Surrender control. Number three, see what God sees. You see this verse, right? Listen, is gold and silver valuable? Are you valuable to God? Some of us are stuck in the refining process many times, but but because we can't let go of, of, of what we did and who we were to embrace who God has made us to be right now. We just can't let it go. 
Uh, part of it is just we're trying to clean up ourselves. Hey, if I just punish myself a little bit more. Hey, my, my son tries to keep, get me watch this reality show called Big Timber. I'm like, I don't want to watch anybody cut down trees. And, and you know, and, and then everybody's talking about, well, well, watch Gold Rush or something. I'm like, I don't want to watch people dig up dirty rocks. But, you know, I watch one little trailer of Gold Rush, and, and it's like the guy is in this murky water, and he pulls out this muddy, ugly rock and starts dancing and screaming and running around. He sees what we can't see. We're still looking at the dirty rock. See, see, to submit to the process, we got to see what God sees. In Zephaniah, it says God is dancing over us. There's value there. And he says, I want you to be who I created you to be. But we can't see it yet. It needs to be cleaned. It needs to be refined and practiced, right? I mean, listen, don't sell cheaply what God has paid so dearly for. Don't sell out so cheaply with your decisions or your life or your actions or your relationships. Don't sell or your purposes. Don't sell so cheaply what God has paid so dearly. He's made you new. Sons and daughters. Number four, last one. Maybe one of the hardest ones. You have to trust him in the pain. He'll use everything if you submit to him. And see what he sees. And the hardest thing of all is to trust him in the pain. How many of you ever said no to your kid? How many kids in here have been said no to? And in that moment, your life was completely over. If I don't go to that party, I'll never have a friend the rest of my life. If I don't have that bicycle, I will never escape. I'll never have independence. If I don't get the ice cream cone, yeah, I mean, listen, if only God, if the only side of God's love was dancing and singing, and it's all part of one love, but if, if the, only, the, the only part we experienced was death, great. But look, part of it is God saying no. Love leads those who care about your best to action on your behalf. It is like a teacher or a coach or a mentor. Um, used to coach middle school girls basketball. But anyway, there was times, sometimes the only influence in some of these kids' life, and there was times I would just square up a player, right, face-to-face, -face, gently, just square up a player face-to-face -face and say, you know what, you're not going to like this, but I'm, I'm telling you, you may never believe it. I want your best. I want what's best for you. Love leads to action. Spurgeon said this, God is too good to be unkind. <laughs> he is too wise to be confused. If I can't trace his hand, I can always trust his heart. You trust God in the pain. Let me ask you this. Who do you trust with fire in your house? We had one or two instances a few years ago. I won't talk about my wife while she's not here. But anyway, who do you trust with fire in your house? 
There's people you don't trust with fire. Do you trust God in the pain, in the refining fire? Let's look at this last verse, verse 5. God says, at this time I will put you on trial. I'm an eager witness against you. See, God's not an impersonal judge. He's not a harsh judge. He's not checked out. He, he keeps up. He knows all. He, 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 he's, he's in the room every moment. He's in the room already. He's got all the information. He said, I'll be a swift witness, an eager witness against all sorcerers, adulterers, and liars. I will speak against those who cheat employees of their wages, who oppress widows and orphans, or deprive the foreigners living among you of justice. For these people do not fear me, says the Lord of heaven's armies. He's saying, listen, if you're of me, you're going to prioritize worshiping me over everything else. You're going to keep your covenants with each other that you've vowed to before me, right? Adulteries. You're going to, you're going to deal in truth, all, all those vertical things and then those horizontal things. You're going to treat people well. You're going to, you're going to look after those who are marginalized. You're going, to, you're going to look after those and make sure those get justice who have no one to speak for me. You see, if we are, be, if we are in the refiner's fire because we're a son or daughter of God, we are a kingdom person and kingdom people do kingdom things. And Jesus is serious about inaugurating a new kingdom in this world. He came first to begin to, with a new covenant, to call out a people as his kingdom people, and he will come again to fully establish his kingdom. And we're to be about his work in between. If we, if we are of him and if he's refining us, we will do kingdom things. We will do the things that he would be doing. And if you don't think kingdom agendas and king, that you don't think the values of the kingdom and the agenda of the kingdom will challenge you, they are radical. I don't care where you are on the political spectrum. If you're talking about the refiner's fire and becoming a kingdom people, it is going to challenge your political boxes. It's going to challenge your agendas. It's going to challenge who, who you love sometimes. How you love. Probably another sermon for another day. But let me end with this. Man, he's not playing. He wants us to throw off everything that conflicts with the king and the kingdom, everything that conflicts with hungering for his presence and being right in the middle of his purposes in this world. He wants us to throw off everything that would hinder that from knowing him more deeply and being used more effectively. And he's refining you. Let's pray together. Thank you for joining our family in North Charleston as we heard God's word preached today. We would love to connect with you. You can find us online on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Send us a message to learn more about what Radiant Church is doing or support the vision of Radiant Church at radiantcharleston.com giving.